0: Welcome to From Forward, a podcast where we have real discussions with real people. This is your host, Yosef Manacheri. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Thank you guys so much, so much for coming out to From Forward. This is episode six. It's quite the honor um, to have on Rabbi Yossi Wallace and Rabbi Yaakov Zayer from Arachim. Rabbi Yossi Wallace is the CEO of Arachim and he has a tremendous, tremendous life story. I'm sure everyone knows about it. Most, most Americans listening, I don't know about Israelis. Um, and it's it's a very, very famous book. There's volume, Incredible 1, Incredible 2, and there's, we can't talk about 3, but 3 is going to be released eventually. And it's it's an amazing story going through Ray Ray Wallace's entire life from a child, from when he was in the mafia to to now in Eretz Yisrael, doing a tremendous amount of cure of, of with Arachim. And Rabbi Yaakov Zaire is the, if I'm not mistaken, uh, life coach and a speaker for Arachim too, right? And I thank you guys for so much for coming on. And I just want to start off. I always like to start off to to um to get into you know where where are you originally from?
1: I was born in side. Uh 1946. Before even at that time, it was called Palestine, in fact. But my, both my father and mother are Holocaust survivors. And they came into Israel after World War II. It's still a British mandate. And I was born there at that time, just before the state was established.
0: Oh, and then when, when did you go into America? When did, you,
1: when did that happen? At the age of 12 and a half, my parents decided to immigrate to the United States. Uh, economically, they were uh, very bad off. And... Uh, so we're, we're considered a poor family in, in Israel. Uh, my father was a laborer in a factory, and uh, I grew up secular. Although both my parents came from very Orthodox old, families prior to World War II. But after the war, they were, were secular. And they decided to move to the United States to better their financial out So they moved to the Bronx, New York, Apparently, at that time, they moved to a um, lot lower class neighborhoods. Roger Avenue, well, didn't know if anybody, if anybody knows that. That that's, was one of, one of the better neighborhoods. What, what, was it I like the to, ghetto? Uh, high, uh, junior high school. And I started to, uh, my career in the United States of America as a youngster, twelve and a half and years old. And
0: what did that look like going to school, being an outsider? Coming into, uh, let, me,
1: let me describe my first day of school. Okay. First day of school. My parents can't get to America. They send me to Junior High School, Weighed 117. There weren't many Jewish kids in the class at that time in Thailand, Puerto Ricans and so blacks. And, uh, I came to class. A uh, teacher in, to, uh, introduced me to the uh, students in the class. Uh, I was a newcomer. I didn't speak English yet. And uh, she asked them to be friendly with me, to cooperate with me. First three I go to the school yard, and a bunch of boys wind up in front of me. They raise their right, right hand like this, yelling out, Hi, Hitler. Oh, wow. And I felt very bad. You couldn't assume I didn't understand much English, but that much I understood. And I burst out crying. I went back to class. And the teacher tells me, she said, you know, Joseph, she called me Joseph, you know, Joseph, you're an American now. And there are very many, many cultures here, many sort of people. So you got to get used to it. So that was my welcome.
0: Oh, and those <laughs> were.
1: Julia Eisner, 117, New. That's I started off.
0: And those were the Italians, or those were just.
1: No, it was just a mixture of. So most of us were all Jews who welcomed me in that fashion. But uh, that's how I started my life out in the Bronx, New York. My father asked me to, he was a laborer, he worked two shifts in a factory. My mother worked in a dormitory school. And uh, I was alone in the streets. So my father asked me to get a job, so he wanted to buy some candy store. Started a business. And he asked me to help if I could sell uh, newspapers in the afternoon, the New York Post. Was an afternoon newspaper. And, you know, so I sold the newspaper in the beginning. And I was around the street trying to sell newspapers. And uh, eventually I got another job uh, to work in a, uh, it was like a, how do you call it, wedding hall. Go tight and clean up while the people were celebrating in the hall and smoking and so on. I would go with a broom and a shovel and clean up the floor and so on. I was a 12 and a half, 13-year-old boy. That's what I did. And uh, I had to come home, bring up the income, whichever I did, and give it to my father so he could buy a store. He wanted to uh, buy a business. And uh, that was my routine, but it was very difficult coming home at late at night with some money in my pockets or for selling newspapers, and again, for roaming the streets. I had a very difficult time surviving the streets of Bronx, New York. After uh, the nights, it was very difficult to come home. Many times we beat him in the streets. That was my uh, so little thing as a kid. It wasn't easy. That
0: was a common thing. People would approach you, mug you, or steal from you. That was like a common thing.
1: The kids, they, they were in the street gangs. I was beaten by, sometimes by the Italians, sometimes the Puerto Ricans, sometimes by the blacks, whatever. I was a, a Jew. They belonged to one of these youth gangs. So trying to survive the streets of New York at that time wasn't easy.
0: Was there, was there like a Jewish group, a Jewish, not
1: quote unquote gang? We set up a group, uh, kids, uh, and immigrants who came from Russia, and some orphans and somehow. So we got together and we tried to set uh, some kind of uh, a gang, a Jewish gang to counterbalance the Italians and so on. But it didn't work too well. But that's what we did. And Jews are kind of to be gangsters, you know. So somehow I got involved with the Scorpions, in the Italian gang. I came part of them and I grew up with those kids. I grew up like that. It wasn't easy. But uh, that, uh, that was life for youngsters, especially if your father wasn't, wasn't home until late at night and your mother worked as a cook in a dormitory school. I was alone in the street. I had to protect my little sister besides all that.
0: <laughs> oh, well. And how did you? Everyone, probably I'm sure everyone who's read the book is curious how you got involved with the mafia. How did that, and how you got out eventually?
1: Yeah, uh, I wasn't really a mafia guy. The way it worked was that uh, you see, the as a kid, as a kid, uh, I was approached by uh, apparently or someone from the Italian mafia, whatever. Let's call him a uh, the organized crime, I mean, you don't know. It doesn't, nothing sounds uh, scary. And, uh, I, I, this guy walked over to me. I, it was an unidentified unidentified person. A good looking young man at the time. And he came, he came, he came over to me he said, listen, you want to make a hundred bucks tonight? You want to approach me? I said, yes, why not? I was a kid, you know. And he would send me to, but I, I remember the first mission was to uh grab, to take a car, the cars the hubcaps, beautiful hubcaps. He said, get me those hubcaps, and get out of the house, bring it to me. He tested, it. he wanted to see if I do a clean job. If I know to get them off, bring it. He didn't need those hubcaps, but he wanted to see how I performed. I didn't know who he was. So I remember my first, uh, Mission was to, to take off four hotcaps from the car and give it to him. He gave me $100. It's a lot of money for a kid. A few weeks later, a week later, he calls me again He tells me you to know, do something else, which was really criminal in a way. He steal something, do something. I ain't going to the details. But in a way, they, they tested me. And he wanted to see how I perform. And he wanted to see if I use my head also or just my. Uh, and eventually, uh, I was dragged into the, I would say, you know, walk in the sky.
0: So they picked I it up? I would out. go, like,
1: they had these clubs that were playing cards. And I was, they put me into the club. And I was just servicing them. Every, every round of, when they played poker, every round, they changed the deck. So I would open the deck, put the decks on the table, and I was, they would play cards with. And the second round, I would again, 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 and if they don't have a shot of whiskey or whatever, I had to go to the bar, bring it to bed. They didn't want to detain me. So I was like, a, but I overheard them talk about terrible things they were doing. Just overheard them. And somehow I was I, I was, unable to detach myself from them because they realized that I know too much just by hearing them. So somehow became part of the group. So you can say, hey, maybe it was a mafia guy or not. You can say what you like. They don't give you a title or, or, or a tag saying you're a mafia man. But you're part of the organized guy. That's what it
0: was. And then how does that work? Once, I heard once you're tied in,
1: you discuss in your book that it's very hard
0: to escape and to get out of the mafia. So how did you manage to do that
1: when you wanted to, well, to well, It's In a way, it's a very difficult get out. Once you sucked in, you win. But, uh, at that time was the Vietnam War and they had these recruiting booths around the high schools. And so I went to test high school in the Bronx, New York, and they had these booths, Navy, Marines, Air Force, join, join us. And, uh, you'll have one, one year training in the United States and one year service in the overseas Vietnam. So somehow I figured that that's what, a way to get out because once you're in the military, they can't put their hands on you. So I went to the uh, U.S. Marine booth. It was right it was next to my high school, and these booths just, especially in these neighborhoods, and I volunteered to the Marines. They tested me. They checked my uh, physical capabilities, and uh, they checked your mental capabilities. And they gave all sorts of options, and. uh they draft you.
0: And how, that, how did that fly with your parents? Did your father know it was, was wow. to you? It was
1: terrible. My parents were disaster because my father was a Holocaust survivor. Also mm-hmm. happened. passed away now. And he lost all his family. So did my mother, Holocaust survivor. She lost all her family. And I was the only son. I didn't know the sister, And they were very much concerned about me and Vietnam. You know, at that time... Casualty was, especially that I volunteered to a combat unit. The casualty rates were very high. I volunteered to a helicopter unit. And, uh, when they appealed that I should not be, I should not serve combat missions because they were both lost families and so on, uh, it was considered by the military and so on, and then I was uh, shifted to something else. Oh, but you ended, up ser-
0: you ended up serving in the yeah, the but also not,
1: uh, not in combat missions. Uh-huh. But I served for a short while. One right. time there, the ROTC, all sorts of options. But uh,
0: I was saying when you got when you went into the military, then you finished. I'm curious when did you make the shift to where you where you where you became religious and where you got it? The
1: I was completely secular. Of it. Uh, I mean, I well, had nothing to do with religion, almost nothing. Zero, nothing. Not Ukip or nothing. In fact, it was most unlikely that I would marry a Jewish girl, which I did at the end. And I met a girl from Hunter College, and everybody was against it—our family, my family, especially her family—because I wasn't such a good boy, you know. <laughs> but you know, but I am a good boy. I wasn't a boy, believe I just I, <laughs> the environment made me look like German, you know. I had a leather jacket, and emblem on the back, you know.
0: Everyone listening can go and look at the book. They have pictures of of you. I'm sure you're aware it's your book, but of you with your with the gang and, and the leather jacket and part of the car.
1: Yeah, so you can imagine that a, a good Jewish mother wants her daughter to marry a guy like me. But I was a good boy. I just adapted to, myself, to the to the atmosphere of the neighborhood in rocks. and I got married to this girl and. Uh, I decided to live my life, build our life away. I, I wanted to get away from this whole Bronx, New York, mafia, all this environment. And I told my wife, as soon as we got married, let's move to Israel. So we did move to Israel. And over there, I joined the, U- the Israeli uh, military. I was in the Israeli Air Force for about uh, five, six years almost.
0: And I was at what age? What age so did you move to? I was at that mm-hmm. time,
1: 20. Something like this. I, was, I went through the Yom Kippur War, the War of Attrition, the Lebanese War, I went to the whole thing. I finally ended up uh, as a captain in the Israeli Air Force. And at that time I told my wife that we need uh, to make a living, uh, you know, to solve these old adventures. You know, you gotta make money. By that time, of the way, I mean I had uh, already two sons and so on. So we moved to LA. Why to LA? Because over there, the aircraft businesses were so very popular on the west coast. And I started business day manufacturing and selling military aircraft parts, especially helicopter parts, I specialized in helicopters. And uh, I, I didn't want good business, buying and selling military aircraft parts to various foreign purchasing missions, Washington DC, New York City. And after close to four years, I told my wife to move back to, to Israel and continue the same business. I moved a house in Marana, had an office in Tel Aviv and continue this uh, trade, international trade of military aircraft parts. At a certain stage, I had uh, this whole time, I was still secular. At a certain stage, I went through some kind of transformation it became religious. Why? And so, that's a different story. <laughs> In the book, you were, just,
0: you were saying you were, eating, you were eating, you were eating like ham or pork. Yeah, it was.
1: I could eat anything. <laughs> Why not?
0: <laughs> so how did, so when you became religious, how did you get into, into Arahim right now, that you're the CEO? How did you get well, into Kiru? How did that happen? How did again, that it's evolve? A story about
1: itself. If you want, we can interview some other time. On how did I come to a seminar? They had a test case seminar. Some rabbim in Israel decided in order to change a person from being secular to religious, you must invest three to four days consecutive days in hear information. Well, a lecture here and a lecture there, but a few consecutive days, consulting, missing all sorts of lectures. That was an idea at that time. And somehow, I got sucked into this and I went to the first test case seminar, Arafil seminar. And again, it's a story myself how this happened. It had to do with the Holocaust, so. But I got there, and I became a bunch of them. I was convinced that Torah divine, given by Hashem, and since I was convinced that it affected the same, make a change in my personal life. And,
0: and how did you come to that realization? Was that through the seminars? What did they teach you that, that made you have that, that I shift?
1: The teacher, when you, I went, came into the seminar, I, been, I had no intentions of becoming religious. I just wanted to learn a little bit. I do nothing about Judaism, almost nothing. And I had all these lectures and I put that all, all the info together. I realized that you can't just overlook it. It's demanding. If you're a Jew, and what they told us is true. I must be, I should become from And I should bring up my kids up that, in that direction. And I should stop eating all these unkosher foods and just behave like a good Jew. There was,
2: also, there was also that point that you mentioned, you told me about when you were asking questions, and you felt that if this is a religion
1: that can, can Encourage questioning, and they're not afraid. In fact, yeah. to the, well, thank you for reminding me. But uh, you know, I, I inquired about Muslim and Christianity and Judaism. I started to check. In a way, it was part of the seminar, and I recall a few lectures that I did here, for Bekadi or for it was like the military process. And we give given lectures by uh, Muslims, uh, religious, religious leaders, Qadi, or a priest, Christian priest, or by a Judaism. But I did recall one thing, that when we were given speeches by the Rav, we were encouraged to ask as many questions as we wanted the, the Questioning was not something that you were limited to. It they weren't, they weren't afraid of it. Whereas with the Christian, yeah, Christianity or uh, Islam, we're limited. They said, you can ask questions up to this level from here on the not ask him. Which was, I wasn't comfortable with it. Was on the other hand, when I was learning with the Obey, they said, yeah, you're unlimited. Ask as much as you want. There's no limit to the questions, which I did. But what did that mean to me? That if you are unlimited and I can ask what I wish, that means he's got the truth in his hand. He's not being afraid of being questioned. And they were afraid to be questioned too much. Once you're not afraid to be questioned, that means you got the truth in your hand. What are you afraid of? And then consciously logically, I didn't become forget, yet, but I was convinced logically that this is different. This is different than other religions. You must understand that I started from a zero point. Although I was born Jewish, okay. But my attitude to religion was completely zero. I didn't care whether there we one or We didn't care. Wow. Well, that's what prompted what
2: was to carry on it would be not only to experience the seminar and come home and make a change in his life, but to say that uh, this is this is something, this is going to be my business. This is what I want to
1: invest my- But before work. that, I want to understand. It wasn't easy. It, it wasn't. I've seen was go along <laughs> with it. <laughs> she said she want to accept it you know she, she she in fact she said that you and I we got married we not we weren't religious
0: so your wife wasn't on board yet
1: no she wasn't on board yet It's you want to change you can't change because we have to stay like well, you're married why change i said it's i said well, check it out maybe i'm well i right that's what I mean. we can't really change together. That's just, no, we didn't get married that way. Okay, so we can change, you know, we can make a change. She didn't want to, and it wasn't easy. It took her about a year to, uh, to catch up to me, and so But eventually, she did.
0: <laughs> wow, that's it's probably like a, because everything, everything you do together as a couple is the same. Everything you do together as a couple is the same. So it's like you, you're you coming, you want to become religious now, and your wife's like, whoa, whoa, whoa what's going on? So that's probably,
1: yeah, probably very interesting. If, if, when you're married and you're making a change and you have kids at home, you've got to go together. You can't. Keep In fact, I used to uh, recite the Kiddush on Friday night, make a Kiddush, and my wife would sit there when I finished the Kiddush, I would take the car and make a ride with the car and the kids. <laughs> This is not open. You can't continue that way. Eventually, she caught up with me. She she went along willingly, and in force, her. because the Aramean gave me gave me instructions how to handle such a situation. They called a lot of force. You can't do it by force. But eventually, she caught up with me, and everything was fine.
0: That was amazing.
1: <laughs> so, what
0: what is what does Arachim look like today? Like what what is going on, on a daily basis? How many how many courses or seminars are you guys running yearly?
1: When I went to the, uh, I think seminar, it was like a first seminar. It was a test case seminar. They wanted to see how people would accept it and make a change. And I made a change. And at that time, it was like one seminar a year. That's all. And the whole staff was three people, three or four people. I joined it. I didn't become a CEO immediately. I worked together with a group for one seminar. We carried to two seminars a year, then three seminars here, year, then four seminars here. year. Then we started doing seminars for people of academic background, people with an unacademic background, seminars for single men, single ladies, and then in French, and in English, and in Italian, and so on. It developed. Today we're making courses for 100 seminars a year, staff of 500 people. Oh, wow, 100. Budget yeah. a few good million dollars a year. And uh, one of the reasons over here is to start uh, after the Corona crisis, we had seminars before in the United States, but now that the Corona slowed down, we trying to again do seminars here now in Florida. I'm here with the one of the our staff members appointed to be the uh, organizer of the activities in uh, Florida and South America, and then we got staff, staff, people in the United States, South Africa, Europe, Russian, English, Italian, French, whatever you want. Where are yes, Jews in any language, we're in seminars.
2: Why not? The beauty the beauty of the seminars, uh, what Wallace has actually contributed and has done, has created, is that the seminar is? it's a nice thing. And there's a lot of organizations that can bring people together, Jews together, and they can um, educate them and, and be inspired. But um, there's a real, there's a system with our team that's made them so successful. Uh, there's, it's over 45 years, close to 40, it's 45 years now. It's about close to 45, close to 45 years. And I made a
1: change. Right. But the, my being involved, it was uh, 40 or something. 40 years. And there's, there's, there's literally a
2: million people in Israel that have been impacted. By when I say impacted, I look at my own family. My wife, who is Israeli, she went to one of the first seminars over 30 years ago, and uh, and her sister went. And just between two sisters and their families, you're talking about 43, you're talking about third, third generation, and that's 43 people just from two, two young girls attending a seminar. There's been close to a million people. It's not so hard to imagine. And, and the, the greatness, the beauty of the seminar is that there is a um, it's not just bringing people together to educate them the, the concept for sure you get them together for three four days you educate them and, and you show them but it's the what happens after that in other words a person comes out of a seminar and immediately they're asked they they want they they just it's like you know putting a guy in a, a speed car and and say okay press the gas and he's like okay where am I going you know it's like they want to start their journey they realize that this is they, they're not totally uh, ready to make a total, you know, 180 degree turn in their life, but they know that this there's something there and they want to continue that that journey. And Archim immediately asked them, he says, well, where are you holding? You're single. Would you like to go and learn a little bit? Would you like to just maybe be invited for Shabbat or uh, maybe, maybe you want to fill in? Maybe you'd like to start doing something, you know, every day and whatever it is, they they, they assign they put one of their, the 500 staff members, or, or many of them are just for that, to, to deal with the, with the people that are coming out of these seminars, and they stick with them. And some of these seminars have a 60, 70% success rate. That means if you get 100 secular kids, young people in, in, a, in a room, that means 60, 70, or eventually after follow-up, after giving them the opportunity to grow and grow, they're going to end up being a showmer Torah Mitzvahs. They're going to be a from family. And it's, and it's, uh, it's you know, proven, documented. These are not just statistics. These are people that, are, that have um, have gone, big organizations that have donated, and they say, well, we're going to donate, but we want to know what really happens with these people. And they've gone, they've contacted people, they say, where are you holding? You went to a seminar? What are you doing now? And it's been documented that there's, some of these seminars have 60 70% success rates. There's an average of all the seminars is about 54%, I think. Some of them, and the single girls is even higher than that. I think single girls, you get them into a room and give them a seminar. I think there's like close to uh, 80% success rate of eventually, eventually. Um, but that's the greatness of our team. It's, it's, um, it's just staying with the people and, and uh, following up and making sure that no one falls through the cracks. That's what a, a real, that's what a seminar is. It's not just about like, you know, there's Torah everywhere. You go online, you can hear a class, all the great speakers. But this is a system. It's a well-oiled machine that is just producing amazing results. Oh
0: well, wow. and you guys do, if I'm not mistaken, you also do seminars for religious people, and you go into Torah and Sinai and and how we know the Torah is true. I, I attended one of those in Israel, and it was really cool. You guys do all like all you have a wide spectrum of seminars for all types of people.
1: Eventually, you know, unfortunately, you have dropouts, which is also. So at first we give a few seminars to help these kids, rabbis. They they don't do have to be proven that Torah is from Sinai. It's not like a secular person has no idea what Torah comes from, where it all started. But the Yeshiva does know. But he somehow is not capable to follow through and stick to uh, religious type of life for whatever reasons. So we started to do seminar for these dropouts, and then we do seminars for the parents of the dropouts, so they know how to handle the situation. And then you have these young girls who went to uh, seminars and so on, and uh, they didn't get married yet, and they don't have yeshivas, they don't have learning uh, options, like a uh, yeshiva bohel. At whatever age, until he gets married, The other sorts of options of learning, they don't. So we did, started doing seminars for young religious girls who were out in the, in the market there. So right now, I would say about uh, 20% of our activities are geared to the religious market just to give them some strength and they need it. And we do consult their brain how much to give for them and how many seminars they give for the uh, non-religious people. Yeah. You can't do all. How many hotels can you take? You know, we're going to use a hotel. You know, what do you do with a hotel? How much you got a hotel? We book hotels two years ahead of time and we line up the type of seminars that we want to do. And then we start recruiting. But the planning process is very, very much determined with the assistance of the European of what type of seminars we should do for what type of people.
2: Amazing what a seminar can do. What um, just to be able to to make that click and turn a person on. I'll ask with Wallace maybe he'll remember the story. So I I remember the story. It's an amazing story about the uh, about the one in the supermarket. The woman who called up from uh, she was from Ranana, I think. She called up. Her son had just come. She he wanted to be he was marrying a, a non-Jewish girl, and you had to. You, there was no one that could help. No, the, the, the rabbi of the community, they said, if anyone's going to help your son, call Rabbi Yosef Wallace. And uh, it was a great story if Rabbi Wallace would... Uh... Uh, you know,
1: the thousands and thousands of people have gone through the process and made the change. Behind each person there's a whole story of why and how he got into a seminar, and how he made the change, and how it affected his life. So I can keep you here for a <laughs> a hundred hours more of just stories of separately, each story is, is amazing like uh Abizal just mentioned each story people are just about to change their religion people want to be married to the to a Christian girl or whatever people who didn't even know that they were Jewish and some they discovered they didn't know what to do with them. So there's so many stories personal stories of people each one I, you know, you can give me the mic here for uh dollars it's not enough just to go to the stories of people who made a change in their lives. Is there one is there one story you can
0: tell the audience, something that you that stuck with you? Maybe because we have to catch Mincha, but a c- quick story that a, that is that you think was number one, possibly.
1: And what just uh what Abaizah just mentioned, is a kid who went to the university, he studied the cultures, very anthropology, they call it, all sorts of cultures. And Being that he came from a family who moved to Israel from Argentina, so he decided to check and study Christianity, but academically speaking, nothing to do with religion. The development of Christianity in order to deepen his studies he went to Spain to the Madrid University. He spoke Spanish and all to learn about Christianity with no intentions of becoming Christians. Nothing to do, nothing personal. And over there, he met a Christian girl and he started to be, he somehow was convinced that Christianity is the right religion. And he decided to marry this Christian girl in Madrid. And he, need not, he didn't know how to break the news to his father and mother who were living in Israel. We're not from, we're not religious. So he flew over to Israel to tell his parents that he's about to marry a Christian girl and that he's going to transfer from Judaism to Christianity and that he's got an offer by the Christian church to study priest, or whatever and he wanted to become a priest or something to be involved in the Christian church. You know, went to the transfer to become a Christian, to marry a Christian girl and get a job in a Christian church. And he decided Christianity was the way to go. And he was really lined up with the Christian girl to get married. They decided to get married. To break the news, he flew to Israel to tell this to his parents. They were shocked. But he told him, he'll he tell him this, the entire, this whole story on condition that he doesn't want to speak to Rabbi. No way. His mother didn't know what to do. They want not religious thought, but to become Christian, to be to change a ginger Christian, was just too much. She didn't know what to do. So she called the Rav of, they lived in Kfar Saba. She called the chief Rabbi of Kfar Saba. He said, they can't help. Him. What can he do? The guy doesn't want to speak to Rav. He said, "No way." So he called the Rav of Krasnovik, considered the Rav of Ananah of parents, and he said, "Now what can I do?" But I have parents. I said, "Maybe they should call the Osipones from Alachim. He lives in Ananah." So they called me up, and I said, "What can I do?" He doesn't want to speak to Rav. That guy doesn't want to speak. so What are you going to do? I don't have a pen. We put him in, and it's glad glen- he's going to drink. Want to be comfortable? <laughs> So the mother starts to cry. She's crying on the phone. I saved my son. Now, what do you do? I will, I will, can you ring up the phone on your kids? So I got an idea. Then it pop up. To. Send the kid to the supermarket to shop, to do shopping. But send them on a Friday when it's very loaded, the supermarket is crowded. I went to shopping before Shadas. Call me up. I lived in a Mara, like very close town. I'll come to the supermarket and I'll make contact with the kid. I don't know what i am do. Just let me make contact. I don't know the military. If you don't know what to do, first you make contact with the enemy and <laughs> you solve the problem. Make contact. She calls me Friday afternoon. I sent my son to the super. I said, but I told him, make him a long list. I have enough time to come from one other to the super. Give him a long list of shopping. I asked him, what does he look like? He's a blonde. He had the red sweater, He's blonde. I said, okay. I, had a, I went, I took a car, very fast to the supermarket. I get the car and I was looking for a kid with red jacket, red sweater, blonde hair shopping cart. I looked around and I see. I see the guy. And I had a long list. The guy was buying <laughs> He gave him a long list so I had enough time to come. I reached the store. I get the car, I followed him. Eventually, he stood in the line to pay, to the cash register. So right away I grabbed the spot behind him with my car. I bought all of things I didn't even know. First I went, to I really didn't go shopping. I stood behind them and now I want to start a conversation. How do you start a conversation? So I told them, thank you, I asked do me a favor. I forgot to buy a few things, watch my turn here. I'll go get some big things off the shelf. I forgot to take some things. Something I don't like to do. If you didn't do shopping, go ahead and do the line. But I put, <laughs> people are lining up behind me now and I told him to watch my turn and watch him keep an eye on my car. And I come back to the car and I say, thank you. He said, you know, you know, maybe I should go to the back of the line. I told him, because I don't think it's morally right. Well, I just did. I want another conversation morality. You Let's know, drag into a religious conversation. Very smart. So he says to me, it's so relative in your culture here in Israel. This is common to do this. In Spain, this doesn't happen. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I want to ask you something. What's the difference? If it's morally wrong, it's morally wrong. If it's morally right, it's morally right. What's the difference between Spain and Israel? I just wanted to start a conversation. I really didn't even care about moral values. He <laughs> said, ah, you in Israel and do that? I said, look, you know, don't put us down. You know, We, we value moral values also. We have values. So we started a conversation about its morality, is it absolute values or relative values according to the cultures? Of the... So at least we started to talk. At the end, eventually we came to the register itself. He paid, I paid. And then we took the cards to the car and to unload the cards into the uh, car. As we're unloading, and I told him that, uh, you know, uh, that we asked what his name is, we do, each other. And I told him that uh, what I do. I told my I work with uh, our team, we do seven up. So not only he spoke to me, you know, now we're off. I'm not formally off, but off. We're really trying to keep on, you know. And uh, I told him, I asked him what he's doing. He said, so no, I'm going down to uh, a lot. I'm booking a hotel for my honeymoon. we am gonna get married. I said, so who are we going to marry? Ah, oh, my girlfriend in Spain. Is she Jewish now? We're going to marry, i going to go for honeymoon in Elat. I said, what? <laughs> he goes, yeah. I said, do be fair, you know, on your way to Elat, we're having a seminar this weekend in Yerushalayim. Stop by, listen to one lecture, and continue to Elad. I said, OK. He tries. Enters the seminar, listen to the lecture. Immediately, I came to the seminar, and it, it was already in the evening, getting late. I said, Why are you going to drive at night Stay over for another lecture. Go tomorrow morning. I'll give you a room Okay, stay. Now, it's listened to two or three lectures already. And the morning I said, You know what? That's the breakfast. There's a le- another lecture at that time. <laughs> so now I went to the fourth lecture. So he decided to stay on from all time. Eventually you know what, stay for Shabbat, and they go home. So he stayed for Shabbat. And he listened to a Sabbath, almost full Seder. Shabbat Shabbos, where the symposium, where you speak what you feel. And he was fighting every night with the Rebbein, but the truth, Torah is true, Torah is not true. Nobody knew what goes on in his mind. Motzei Shabbos, took the mic, and he said to us, you know, you all thought that I'm fighting Judaism. And you're right, I was fighting against Jews. But I came to a conclusion, you're right, I was wrong. I gotta make a change, but I got a problem. My friend says, in Spain, I gotta marry him. We're engaged, I wanna call him off.'" And I'm going to do it now. So I don't know. I don't know if I'll do it later. Maybe I'll regret. Get me phone right now on stage. I want to call her. My phone calls her up. Now we all hear the conversation. He said to her, my dear, whatever. I made a mistake. I'm Jewish. You're Christian. You can't get married. She said, why? Can't explain. I'm Jewish, you're Christian, we're not gonna get married. I'm calling it off. Just like that. Just Everybody was overwhelmed. So applause. Guy's brave. Ten minutes. Next thing. Okay, get off. He was on the stage. Get off the stage. We'll get the next one. No, 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 no. I uh, I want to go to Yeshiva. And I want Irav to take me to Yeshiva. Because if I won't go to Yeshiva now, maybe I'll change my mind. He's a doer. No, no, this is not Sishab. It's late at night. Get me now. We're we'll getting to Yeshiva. About Sunday morning. So no, no, now. We can't get you in Yeshiva now. It's late at night. If I'm not getting off stage, I need you to get me. Irav is taking to Yeshiva. So he's sitting there on stage. And we have going to call somebody. Finally, got somebody. Came mm-hmm. over. I'll take you to Yeshiva. no, 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 not yet. I got to go home, bring my belongings. And if I go home to get my belongings, my mother is probably going to convince me not to go to Yeshiva. That, that's what she, it's not what she really wanted. Now, I'm going She wanted, I me mean, not to marry a Christian girl, but to go and become food. And he to go to his home to be why don't you go yourself? No, no, no. If I go home, I may not go to yeshiva. So somebody's going go, to go home, can bring stuff in my belongings, We'll bring to whatever yeshiva the father is taking And he went to yeshiva. A couple of years later, I met him in Mexico. After a few years he of learning, he decided to do kill to other Jews. And since he's no Spanish, they moved to Mexico and enjoyed the koila. In Mexico, they kill for the Spanish speaking people. who knew Spanish. And a little girl said, I happened to be in Spain at the time. I met up there. And he said, I moved to Spain. He was a respectable. That's my daughter. And got a religious wife. And I'm in Spain now. We am doing kill. Wow! From becoming Christian to be doing kill, you're an intelligent guy. You wanted a story. You got a story. That's that's incredible. How many I'm how many different you, guys have? are Thousands and thousands of stories. Each story is a, a story by itself. But we're gonna miss this mincha. We
0: gotta make mincha. <laughs> but where I heard you guys are doing possibly a seminar here in South Florida.
1: We want to do a seminar in. Flow it out, and uh, we need to raise funds for it. We We are in the process. We found the hotel. I we hope we get enough funds to run it. And uh, then we have to get the candidates. We're doing it for physically. Amazing.
0: And where, where can people find Arachim?
1: Is it a
2: website? Is it where? where there's can a website. We, with can, the uh, we can
1: put the link on.
0: Uh, yeah, but at least everyone link in the description. You can. There's uh, think
2: be well, in the there's uh, arachimenglish.com and arachim.org. Him so our, you know, those uh, from either one, and um, yeah we're, we're hoping to do that seminar here, and we targeted South Florida because we just heard a statistic now while we were here that there's going to be soon they're going to be reaching five hundred thousand Israelis living in South Florida, and most of them are not Israelis that are religious they are Israelis that come over they 're looking for work and opportunity and they end up uh, starting their lives here, but and it's not only for Israelis, a seminar, of course, but just to give you the numbers of what's going on here, how it's growing with secular Jewish people, so there's a real, real need here in South Florida to be doing this type of seminar, and uh Hashem, we'll be matzliyak, and we'll get the funds together, and we, uh, we'll be able to put this together. Amazing. So Thank you so much amazing. for coming out. Thank you guys. Thank you very much. Yeah,
1: Appreciate it.
0: Thanks so much for listening, guys. This is Yosef Manicheri from From Forward. Stay tuned. There's going to be a podcast each week. Uh, if you can leave a five-star review on Spotify and iTunes, that would help the podcast tremendously. Have a great day.